book of Acts. Woohoo! Woohoo! Uh oh. It's missing. Oh, there it is. All right. The book of the Acts of the Apostles. Which Hos? Does it say Hos of the Apostles? Does it? I'm still waiting for somebody to entitle it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Everybody's got to get the apostles in there. Might be. I don't know if we can we change titles or are we are we t- we can't do that, can we? <laughs> Not one word. Is the title part of it? <laughs> All right. The book of Acts. All right, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight to gather together to open up the Bible. Uh, thank you for the study of the book of Acts. And Lord, we're, we're grateful. Uh, been a while since we've been in the book of Acts here in Grand Forks. And uh, asking and praying for the learning and understanding wisdom that you'd impart to us, the knowledge of, of the Holy Spirit, the knowledge of the working, the continuing working of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit in this world. Uh, Lord, we're crying out to you. We, we see how, how things are going in the world. We see many falling away from the faith. Lord, we ask for your Holy Spirit to be upon your church in these last days, uh, the power to be a witness unto Jesus Christ. And we ask for that. Uh, Lord, whatever ideas we had before, uh, whether they, uh, wh- wherever they came from, Lord, we ask your Spirit would teach us the word and uh, we would spend that time together in the book of Acts to understand you, uh, our Father in heaven. And uh, Lord, prepare us. Use this study to prepare us for the things to come. On this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. So um, this opens up all kinds of uh, really opportunity for you as you uh, up here in Grand Forks. uh, With Sunday morning teaching in Fargo, we're continuing through the book of Deuteronomy. So I know that we had been up here for a few of those studies. It had been pretty thin. I did not feel so bad jumping over to the book of Acts that I was abandoning you from the Deuteronomy study. Uh, but you can you can partake of that Deuteronomy study, whether, whether you want to do it live uh, online on Sunday mornings or just pick up those teachings if you're interested in keeping up with that. We are studying the book of Acts on Wednesday nights in Fargo. And uh, so what I'm bringing... On Sundays will be the the what I, where I've been studying and and praying and seeking the Lord on for the Wednesday night Bible study, and that might be maybe as much for me as I as I talk about uh, the logistics of of this and what it means for the study of the Book of Acts in our lives. Now uh, we come to this place in in opening up the Book of Acts and. Um, Really what I, what I want all of us to grasp, and we've studied it before, we've read it before, uh, what I really would long for us to have is, is the, the understanding of how the Holy Spirit works in the lives of the believers. 
and not just reading it in history, but also giving ourselves to uh, that 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 openness of our hearts to the Holy Spirit to to be at work in our lives. Um, I, I talk with with people who now come to Calvary Chapel who have as broad a background as you can possibly have in regard to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I have people who grew up in churches who the Holy Spirit was only probably mentioned at water baptism. And that's the only time, the, or in the creeds, that you'd mention the Holy Spirit. But there was no active working or seeking or even looking for that power of the Holy Spirit, even if it's into daily life. And that was me. I'm the one who grew up in that denomination, who the Holy Spirit was only a mention. And I have others who come, and they have, they have been in Pentecostal churches, and they they have some of it. Again, different people have experienced good things in the practice and ministry uh, of the Holy Spirit in the church, and other people not so much. Uh, they experience really any activity that anybody could bring, and it was called that's the Holy Spirit. So, also many others come from this standpoint where even the gifts of the Holy Spirit or specifically the gift of tongues, has been damaged in their view or in their mind based off of uh, what somebody told them. I was talking to a, a friend of mine uh, uh, who also pastors a Calvary Chapel. We were together down in Arizona last week. Sorry I wasn't here. I wanted to fly back Saturday night, but I could not get a Saturday night flight, so then I had a Sunday night flight. But I, I wanted to be able to be be back for Sunday service. And in talking with him, uh, he had a, a woman in church. They had come to this place of, of studying and therefore also in practice of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in their, in their body of believers. And in practicing that and, and teaching and talking about the gift of tongues, she had someone like a dad or a stepdad or a, you know, uh, something like that, a father-in-law, somewhere along the line, I think it, way back when she was young, it said that tongues were of the devil. And so when she found out that the church that she now was going to practiced uh, the gifts of the Spirit and, and gift of tongues, and, and uh, she said, I can't be here anymore. And they, they took the time, opened up the Bible, look at the Scriptures, searching the Scriptures, but her heart was closed off to that which she was told by someone once upon a time that it was not of God. Now, uh, it was kind of interesting. My, my friend's response was, you've been here this long and you just found that out? And I don't know, I mean, that part of, of the, the work of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to do something tonight. Uh, I want you to find Luke 24. And just keep a finger in Luke 24. Or if you're digital, you drop a bookmark in there. Or if you can swipe back and forth from history. Did somebody move this pulpit back? Because I just about stepped off, and I've never done that in about 10 years. I don't know. Whew, he probably didn't want to be so close to everybody. There we go. That was a little excitement up here. Is that what it was? We got with somebody sick, and I almost went back there. All right. So who wrote the Gospel of Luke. Luke, all right, very good. You just saved yourself a year of Bible college right there, right? Someone who would convince you that somebody else wrote these books. Who wrote the book of Acts? Luke, 
Lucas, right? So when we come to this place, there's an, there's an overlap, and I find it very interesting. And uh, again, we're not going to study the book of Luke, but I'm going to sow a thought for you. Find the Holy Spirit in the book of the, the gospel according to Luke, right? Not right now. That's a seed for you. Because what Luke records for us is the working of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, I, I, I think what I would like to find first, got to look it up. Uh, let's see. Where's it at? Jesus died on the cross, buried in the tomb. Really, we see the mighty working power of the Holy Spirit at work. Uh, really, when you see and hear Jesus in verse 7 of Luke 24, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, crucified and rise again on the third day. They remembered his words. They seemed like idle tales to him, but they were looking at Jesus alive again by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit's not mentioned, not referenced, but as, as you continue to study through the scriptures, it was the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. You do understand when he prays, into your hands I commit my spirit. That means he yielded up, right? He gave, again, I think one of the versions says he gave up the ghost. In other words, he, he gave up the spirit. That means Jesus in that place gave up. And it wasn't Jesus' power that was going to bring him back from the dead. And, and I think a lot of times we don't realize just how active the Holy Spirit is in the life of Jesus as, as he goes through these things. Now, when Jesus appears to his disciples, it's recorded for us in 36, he, he stands in the midst of them, says, peace to you. And then he shows them his hands and his feet. And, and then look at, look at in 39. Behold my hands, my feet, that it is I myself handle me and see. And look at that phrase. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And I think, is it Luke who records? Yeah, he asks for food in 41. And in 42, he eats he eats fish and honeycomb. Now, rather interesting, but very clearly, Jesus is alive and he's not a spirit. Spirits do not have flesh, right? He, he is able to appear into this realm. So his body is glorified. This is the mighty working power of the Holy Spirit in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then Luke, from 44 on, really bridges from from the gospel right into the book of Acts. So we're going to read from 44 to 53. He says, Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law uh, of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And then look at 45. He opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And then look what he says in 49. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And then he led him out as far as Bethany. He lifted up his hands, blessed them, came to pass as he blessed them, uh, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them, carried up into heaven, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God 
Amen. Now find your way to to the book of Acts. Now as we get into this study, and and really when when it comes down to this um, working of the Holy Spirit, uh, I love how Luke starts the, the book of Acts. He says, uh, the former account I made, O Theophilus. The same way he starts out addressing the gospel to Theophilus, now he, he takes this next volume that he is writing and he addresses it to Theophilus. Now it's been said and, and wondered upon, like who is he? Because we don't know who Theophilus is, but he has a name actually that would, would, would possibly hint that he is of some uh, important person and there's even the conjecture that he may have been Luke's owner as a slave. He had, had his own personal doctor. And, and it's just, again, a theory that Luke, as he went about to do all these things, obviously he would have had leave from his master, Theophilus, to go do that. We'll, we'll find that we, we meet up with Luke in Acts chapter 16. And uh, we'll, we'll encounter that. And we'll watch the change of pronouns. Because once Luke joins the group, it becomes a we, our, and and he's very clearly identifying that this is the part of the book of Acts that he is there. Now, Theophilus means lover of God. And so there have been those who come to this and they absolutely love that. And they're like, I love God. It's written to me. A very personal way to take on that. Um, so it, it lends itself uh, concerning the addressing of the letter. But I, I like his phrase next, of all that Jesus both began to do uh, and to teach. Now, we come to this place of, again, my, I have such a simple agreement with with the authorship of the Bible. I'm not one of those guys who has ever been poisoned by the critical, higher thinking of who really wrote this or not. And uh, and so I, I have never had that stumbling block, but many do, and just have to simply come to that place of saying either either man's criticism or man's judgment upon the Word of God is valid to me, or I'm going to stick with what the Bible simply says of itself. And his his phrase in there of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Now this this phrase in in the way that that Luke writes it in the grammar. And he writes it that this is the the present ongoing or continuous ongoing action. Now, Luke's gospel is is to me is interesting in 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 the regard of this. And and again, Luke, we believe that he is the only Gentile who has written any part of the Bible. And that that's a bit of uh, of well I, in the way that he writes the book of Luke and then he does the book of Acts, you'll find he primarily is going to cover most of Paul's life. A good portion of the book of Acts is the apostle to the Gentiles. And in, in the way that he writes this and, and clearly stating here that he both began to do this, it's clear this understanding. Jesus' ministry did not end. So we have his death and resurrection. We have him crucified. This time of year, church calendar people, right? They're always here at this place of somberly heading up towards and some sort of repeating of this. And then when they come all the way to Good Friday, they'll be all sad and somber in their services. Now, we're going to have a Good Friday service for the first time we've ever been a church at Calvary Chapel Fargo. And, and you know what? It's not going to be a somber service. We're going to glory in the cross of Jesus Christ. 
And I don't know if other people do that elsewhere, whatever they do. They can do whatever they want to do. But this, this working of Jesus that did not end when he was crucified, and it did not end when he ascended into heaven. And the way that, that Luke attributes this working and the way that he lays out the book of Acts, and I find Luke, the, the gospel according to Luke, for me, is written to the Gentiles. And, and I love looking at all those things. And, and so he actually will explain things that the Jews are doing because he's writing to the Gentiles. And I, I read through Luke, and I'm like, aha, I, I now get what that means. So I like that he, by the Holy Spirit, was given this to write, and in that, in that key phrase of, of what the Lord's doing, it, it sets us to something. And this is the decision I think each and every one of us, 2,000 years removed, a decision that we need to make. Should the ongoing work of Jesus still be continuing in, into the present day? Should the, should the teachings and working of Jesus be just as evident as it was in times past today? And really, as we study that and come to that, and, and you can look this up, and, and it really comes down to the ongoing continuous. So it's been said that the book of Acts never ends. We come to chapter 28, and it just stops. We never get the final account of Paul's last trial, where, again, church tradition tells us that he was, he was condemned to die at the hands of Nero's judgment. And in saying that, it stops, and then so then people speculate. You know, did Luke, you know, did he just, what happened to Luke? They, they start to wonder that. Well, I believe Luke was right at the point, when we get up to Acts 28, Luke is writing present day when Acts 28 is going on. So when he is done writing, it, it's before the Apostle Paul uh, goes to his death. And, and think of this in the wisdom. You know, the Bible doesn't record any of the deaths of the apostles except for James, John's brother, uh, well, the non-apostle or the unapostle, however you want to look at what Judas uh, did, but this ongoing continuous work by the Holy Spirit, and and this is that place, uh, really, where we have a decision to make. Should it be happening today? Now he says, uh, all that Jesus both began to do and to teach until the day that which he, which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles he had chosen. You're either going to take Luke at his word or you're going to outguess Luke. Have you, have you not read the end of Mark, the end, the end of the Gospel of John? In the end of the Gospel of John, Jesus says, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. He breathes on them. And those same men, they receive the Holy Spirit. It's recorded that Jesus, right, he comes in, in Matthew 28 and he says, all the power and authority in heaven is granted unto me. And then he, then he gives him the charge, or we call it the Great Commission. I guess there's lesser commissions that aren't as important as this one. I just find it to be the commission, go into all the world and make disciples. That, that charge to go into all the world, to, to make disciples of Jesus Christ, um, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and and teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, uh, commanded you, and lo, I am with you always unto the end of the age. This place uh, of coming to this, and Luke's careful here to identify all those things that Jesus was saying from the time he rose from the dead until he ascended into heaven, that this was commandment through the Holy Spirit. So this is what I like about looking at Luke 
and then coming to the book of Acts, is that this is the Holy Spirit giving these commandments. So what we read in Luke, and again, I'll, I'll see if I can catch this, this bridge of this continuation. Luke's gospel ends with the ascension of Jesus from the Mount of Olives, and Acts begins with the ascension. Glance down at verse 10. It's exactly this bridge, if you will. So Luke is identifying, while Jesus is still here, that this, these commandments that are happening, road to Emmaus. Luke records the two going from, uh, from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and they cannot tell who Jesus is, but the moment they break dead together, bread together, their eyes are open. We speculate like you know they saw his scars, but we don't know that. But this is by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and as you understand how this is happening, when Luke records that he opened the scriptures to them, now, I'll be very honest with you. I did not have much, much interest in the Bible the entire time I was growing up going to a particular denomination, uh, as I even talk with you tonight, concerning the Holy Spirit. I had really no interest in knowing these things that were written in the Bible. It was a task that I had to do for Sunday school. I had Herbolt's book of the Bible, which we'd do all these underlining. We had a red and blue pen, and you have to underline in red, and, and you go through the whole story. Evidently, underlining got you to read the story. I... I don't know, but I could answer all the questions. I memorized all the stuff, and yet it was still empty. Now, when the Holy Spirit opened my understanding to the Scriptures, you see where this goes with with what Luke's saying in in the end of Luke? And, And what are we really talking about in the book of Acts? There's things that are only explained by what only the Holy Spirit could do. And if it wasn't the Holy Spirit doing these things, it never would have happened. And this is that place where now I think many can function in church. I grew up in a church. We functioned in a place called church, unsaved. The majority of us were unsaved. Maybe some were. But we also functioned not needing the Holy Spirit to do anything in the church. I think Jesus had a word for that type of church. It's called the Church of Sardis. And yet that persists in many places. So a few more comparisons. Luke's gospel ends with Jesus telling them to wait in Jerusalem till they're endued with power from on high. We read it, right? So he's laying this out. Wait till you're endued from power from on high. He picks it up in the book of Acts, and that's Acts 1, and you can look at it, uh, really 1.5. John truly baptized with water, but you should be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then it carries into to verse 8. So the, this idea, excuse me, four and five, wait for the promise of the Father. Now, I, I, I've thought about this a lot. Again, if you, New King James, I, I'm reading out of that tonight. I, I, I like that because I'm the most familiar with it. When I, when I simply want to teach right from the scriptures, I'll, I'll pull out my, my New King James. They capitalize P on promise. Now, you have the NAS, NASB tonight, Ransel? Did they capitalize P on promise in verse 4? Promised. That which God had promised. Okay. Okay, gotcha. Anybody else have a, a lowercase on the P? What, what do you got? King James? So King James does not capitalize a lot of those things. So what is it? You know, and it's been said that the promise is the Holy Spirit himself, which I, again... I believe as we get into this study, you can say in some ways that is accurate and right. So Luke bridges this, you will be endued with power from on high. He picks it back up with the promise of the Spirit and four. But then if you look into verse eight, he says, you shall receive 
power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, I like the, what, how the NASB said that there, the promised one. Or is it the promised one? Wait for what the Father had promised. Yeah, so Jesus had told them about the this, this if you will, that which the Father has promised concerning the Holy Spirit. Now, when again, John the Baptist records it, that Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit. Here it's recorded that Luke has that Jesus himself said that. And, and if you'll notice into, into 4, we'll, we'll jump back to 3 in just a bit. He was assembled together with them. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. And then look what he does in 5. John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Well, it, as Luke bridges between these two and describes how, how Jesus himself, in his gospel, Luke's the only one who records that they would, should wait in Jerusalem and receive power from the Holy Spirit. Now, this I like as we study this because we, we have that record and now we, when we go on to the second book that Luke wrote, we have a decision to make. If, if Luke's accurate about that. Now, remember the seed I've sown with you tonight? Find the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of Luke. And then compare the work of the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of Luke with all the other Gospels. And I, I put before you, Luke came to this place when he investigated, when he sought this out, when he interviewed people, when he talked. I Many believe he interviewed Mary, the mother of Jesus, to get He's the only one who has that intimate record of, of what was going on with her. Now, as I set that forth in this way, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Luke's gospel ends with telling them that the gospel is to be preached to all nations beginning at Jerusalem and that they would be witnesses of the, these things. Acts begins with Jesus telling them that they are witnesses of him in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, let's see. Yeah, now let's jump back to verse 3. So, from 2 into 3, He, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days, speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So I'm not surprised that all those things that Jesus was talking about by the Holy Spirit is the very question that they bring up to Jesus in verse 6. When he's talking with them about baptizing them with the Spirit, they say to him, are you now going to set up your kingdom? And that's his response. And they, they say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put into his own authority. Now, here's my decision about the book of Acts. As we, we take the record that Luke had, and that which he shows at the end of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that, that Jesus imparted this understanding by the Holy Spirit concerning the commandments to go forth into all the world, to be his witnesses, to, to take this gospel out to the whole world. And, and Luke records it, but wait until you are endued with power from on high. In this continuing working of Jesus to go forth into the world in that, which is, which is the record here of the 40 days after he had risen from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's imparting to them by commandment of the Holy Spirit. And he says, wait for the promise of the Father. And uh, I believe that, that somewhere in Scripture that promise would exist. Now, here's my conjecture. Okay? 
My conjecture is what Luke is referring to is actually the promise given to Joel by way of prophecy that when the Holy Spirit does come upon the 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 the, the overflow again that 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 uponness of the Holy Spirit when they are baptized with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, people are like it, it was so supernatural in the things that they had seen and heard. So. Just kind of an introduction, kind of preparing you a little bit for this and things that I'm thinking about. You know, look at Acts 2.33. Make no mistake about it. What happened that day, and Peter stands up, and as he's preaching Jesus Christ, and and in 2.33 he describes how Jesus was ascended into heaven and exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father, and look at that phrase right there, the promise of the Holy Spirit. And look at this phrase. He poured out this which you now see and hear. Yeah. So when everybody thought they were drunk, right? Everybody thought, everybody who was there, some, I shouldn't say everybody, some, and it was early in the morning, and that's where Peter stands up and says, they're not drunk. What you see, right? And again, 233. Everything they saw and heard was the pouring out of the Holy Spirit as Joel prophesied, saying, I can, so what is it, Joel 2, I think it's 28 and 29. And Peter quotes it. And when they, when they say, are, are, they, are they drunk? And um, it's, recorded, it's recorded in Acts 2.17, but it comes from Joel 28, 2.28. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Sons and daughters shall prophesy, young men sh- shall see visions, old men shall see dreams, and on my men servants and on my maid servants, look at that phrase right there in Acts 2.18, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. And it continues, but I believe this promise is none other than the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that Joel prophesies about. And, and Jesus called that, that fulfillment of that prophecy, he called it, he called it, um, uh, how would I say that? He called it a promise. The fulfillment of that promise, uh, prophecy, Jesus called it a promise of the Father. Now, is the Holy Spirit the promise or is the pouring out of the Spirit the promise? Back to John 20 in our minds, right? In John 20, he said what? Receive ye the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. John records they Jesus again. The picture is right in place in the Gospel of John. In the beginning, God created. Right, He made them male and female. But what's the description of Adam? Formed out of the dust of the ground, put together, and then God breathed into him, and he became a living soul. Jesus breathes on them. In John 20, and they become new living, if you will. If we just, you know, we can hack up all the, the language, but that's the issue. So what is this promise of the Father? They already have the Holy Spirit. And, and herein is where a lot of people have mixed up their understanding and then therefore practice concerning the Holy Spirit. And some make absolutely no distinction whatsoever between the baptism with the Holy Spirit as recorded in the gospel uh, according to the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, right? They make no distinction 
between what happens in the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts to when, when somebody believes and receives the gospel of Jesus Christ and they're born from above in John chapter 3, born again, and you get the Holy Spirit, and they make no distinction. But I think the Bible does. And as we go into this study, and, and as I, I believe that promise he's speaking of is the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And that's why I take you to Acts 2.33. Yeah, we, we many times will, will pray for the baptism with the Holy Spirit, lay hands on people. And, and many times, what are we seeing and hearing? I love it when someone is baptized with the Holy Spirit and there's prophecy. Right? There, there's prophesying. And or many times, again, I'm there when, when this is going on and I'm laying hands on people for the baptism with the Holy Spirit and I am prophesying because I don't know what gifts the Holy Spirit would want to give them because many times as I'm praying for the Holy Spirit to come upon someone, I'm also praying for gifts of the Holy Spirit to come to them. And then there'll be things going on that I don't know anything what's going on and I'll be praying over them in, in the, using the gift of tongues, praying in the Spirit. And I like that you, we, we could say all that we want to say about the day of Pentecost, right, fire on their heads. And when we study that, we'll cover that a little bit, try to hopefully shed some light on, onto that. But we know that they were speaking in tongues, and that's what was recorded for us. And when Peter gets all the way through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, book of Joel prophesied, uh, prophesied that they would be prophesying. Now, don't confuse the gift of tongues with, with you know, you know, prophesying, two different gifts, and, and 1 Corinthians 12 uh, settles that whole thing out uh, regard to what's, what's tongues, and then for the church, you know, pray that you could interpret. And, and yet here we see primarily when the Holy Spirit is given that, that there are one of two things that happen. There's the gift of tongues, and there's prophesying. And think about Samaria. When we get to Acts chapter 8, we'll cover that. That Simon guy, remember him who wanted to buy that power of the Holy Spirit like a, like a magic trick? And, and he's rebuked. And, but I, I'm going to say this again. They saw and heard. They saw and heard the power of God in the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Now, back to where I'm at here. Let's look back at verse 5, the contrast. Compare, contrast. You know what Luke does for us? He does something wonderful. He takes the baptism with the Holy Spirit, that Jesus, Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit, and he compares it to John's water baptism. Now, it's great because Jesus was baptized in John's water baptism. Everybody was gathering together, and they were coming to John for a baptism of repentance. That's why John had a problem saying to Jesus, he said, you should baptize me. He recognized he had nothing to repent of. And, and so that water was, baptism was a, a baptism of water for the remission, right? That, that term of taking away sin. So what did John do when he's preaching repentance and people are responding to God and they're, they're confessing their sins? They came confessing their sins in John's ministry and then when they had confessed their sins and they, they were they're saying, I'm changing, then he would bring them down into the water and he would take them under the water and bring them back up. John's water baptism is not a different practice than what the Jews were already practicing. 
Now, one of my favorite things to do when I take a group to Jerusalem is I like to take them to see the mikvahs, which are the ceremonial baptismal pools that were all around the temple. Someone coming up to the temple, they had traveled, they would, they would, they would literally cleanse themselves in these mikvahs by going into the water and coming out the other side. A picture of being cleansed that now they could go up to temple. What's John doing? John has taken somebody into the dirty river Jordan. Now, some of you have seen that. You know exactly what I mean. And I know why Naaman said, uh, can't, couldn't I have just been washed clean? In a, in a, we have much better rivers in Syria than this thing. Jordan River's dirty. But yet John's preaching of baptism and repentance. And the best way to understand John's baptism is, is that the person would go go down into the water, they've repented, confessed their sins, and they would be cleansed. So when Jesus gets water baptized, he has no sin. Yet he fully identifies with mankind in their need for repentance for their sins. And, and if you ever hear what Jesus said, you, listen, you, can, you can just look at it closely, to fulfill righteousness. It's a part of his identification. But when Jesus is water baptized and he comes up out of the water, two things happen. Heavens open up and you hear... Actually, I don't know if they open up, but we hear a voice from heaven. This is my beloved son. And then we're told that John bore witness to this, that he saw the Holy Spirit descend like a dove upon Jesus and and remained upon him. Or again, I love doing that Bible study. What, what visibly happened in John's water baptism, when Jesus compares that, compare contrast, you can go right to look at what's recorded that the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus and remained upon him. Now, I, that's exciting to me because we're comparing this out. So when you get baptized in John's baptism into the water, you come out cleansed, right? You're washed, you're cleansed. Now, you know, the command through the Holy Spirit to go baptize all these nations, you know, make disciples of all nations, all peoples, right? And then baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's a different water baptism than John's. Because after Jesus died and rose again, and then he gave that command, Acts 19 will settle this out. The, the believers in Ephesus had only heard of John's baptism of repentance. And, and Paul says, what baptism did you receive? Well, John's. He says, I need to baptize you into Jesus Christ. He takes them, water baptizes them, into the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's not a cleansing, is it? Although it does cleanse you. Well, it, baptism doesn't cleanse you. <clears throat> it's an answer. Peter called it an antitype, which again, you're like, what's that mean? And I say the same thing. What does that mean? Well, baptism itself doesn't wash you clean or save you. But when you're saved, what do you do? You get water baptized. Just as he identified with your need for repentance, you identify with him in his death. And then I'm buried with Christ, Paul tells the church of Colossae. And then he goes on to describe that, that they're raised in the power for the newness of life. And, and we take these things like, yeah, I get that. Well, why is that so important? I lay that groundwork so we can talk about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. So when you're baptized into water, what happens to you? You get wet. Or if it's cold water, you get wet and cold but we believe by faith, don't we? We believe by faith that we're, 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 we're following this commandment. Now, commandment by who? 
through the Holy Spirit. Do you understand? That's what Luke's saying. The commandment to baptize is through the Holy Spirit. He gave commandment to go do that. And and I like that because the moment that, that Luke, or excuse me, Paul in Acts 19 at Ephesus, there's about 12 of them, he, he does the baptism into Jesus Christ in the water. And they come up, he does something. He lays their hands, his hands on them. And he prays for them and they receive the Holy Spirit. Baptized, water baptized into Jesus, they come out of the water and what does he do? It's, it's a lot like looking at all these baptisms in one little thing that takes place. They had John's baptism. That was not the baptism the Holy Spirit commanded to take out into the world. You baptize people into the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the command, into Christ Jesus. Some people get so troubled that they forget to mention that the command by the Spirit was into the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So There's some Jesus-only people out there. One made his way recently into Fargo, uh, back in February. He didn't know it, but he was weird, and he was, and he, and he, and he tried to corner a couple of the groups of the women to talk to them. And then he, then he brought out his question, and he asked one of the women about, about, well, was, was your baptism right? <laughs> it turns out he was one of those Jesus-only guys. He had ignored the, the command of the Spirit through the Scriptures. How were you baptized? So here's how I baptize someone. I baptize you into the into Jesus. Uh, we baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. And I pray it. And and in, in doing all that, I'm not trying to cover all my bases, but anything we do in Jesus' name. Now, now, who baptizes with the Holy Spirit? Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. You, you see that in, in, in 5. So in this compare and contrast, you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. John said, who does that? I cannot... Loose the sandals of the one who does that. It's Jesus. So John baptizes Jesus into his baptism of repentance. But Jesus, after he's resurrected from the dead, remember John 7? Holy Spirit could not be given until Holy Spirit, and Jesus was risen from the dead, glorified. He gave them the Spirit in, in John chapter 20. Well, what's going to happen now? Luke's recording. Is, is Luke just didn't, didn't know what happened? No, Luke knows what happened. You know, as you lay this out, there's something more. So in the compare and contrast, the baptism with the Holy Spirit, we have to ask the question, right? What is it? What is the baptism with the Holy Spirit? It's not the water baptism. It's not the, it's not the baptism of John for repentance. It's not water baptizing someone into Jesus Christ. No one gets the Spirit at water baptism. You receive the Spirit when you believe upon Jesus Christ. You're born of him. Your water baptism may occur simultaneously or later. Do you know there are some people who teach baptismal regeneration? You're not saved until you're water baptized. <coughs> now, that doesn't agree with scriptures either. Now, So all I'm saying to you is, if you want to know where two of the biggest areas of trouble are <laughs> and all the things, the simplest things concerning the war and fight over how you should water baptize and then over, over communion, like those, those two things have so much battle and fighting. And then the other one is, what about the Holy Spirit? So what is the baptism with the Holy Spirit? Well, if you're baptized into water, the, the Greek word baptizo, right, to be immersed. I, I love it. I, I think it's on Blue Letter Bible, and you can look it up. Describes the difference of the definitions between what, what baptism in. There's a couple of different Greek words. 
And one talks, there's a recipe for making pickles from way back in Greek. And they describe the two words, one where you take the pickle and, and then you, uh, it, it's blanched, and then another one where it's immersed. And there's two different Greek words, and it's the word for the pickle that, that's immersed, baptizo. And, and as that lays out, the same word is used here with the baptism with the Holy Spirit. So if you're baptized into wa- water, you get wet. If you're baptized into the Spirit, you get Well, Bible says power. Now, here's the way Pastor Chuck teaches it. And so I, I, I'm, I'm actually using his commentary because of something he put into the introduction. He said this. He said, we have many son-type churches now in, in Calvary Chapel. We have grandson-type churches, and we have great-grandson-type churches. So he's writing this in the early 2000s. I didn't start pastoring until 2004. First pastor's conference, Calvary Chapel, 2003. Right? 2004. Ordained, 2004. <laughs> We're like an old married couple. <laughs> I guess that does make us an old married couple 25 years. All right. And, and so as I describe, where was I? Oh, he, son-type churches, grandson-type churches, great-grandson-type churches. And you know what he says? And if you ever know this, Pastor Chuck has not written many commentaries on books of the Bible. He has all kinds of teachings that he taught that are recorded, audio, video, a lot of radio stuff. But as far as I know, he only has published a commentary of the book of Acts and the book of Romans. And you know what he said? He said, now I don't get to have personal touch with the pastors in Calvary Chapel. He says, in the beginning days, I had personal touch with every one of the pastors that we sent out. So what does he say? He said, I want to be very certain that, that every one of them would have this understanding that God had given unto him and what happened with Calvary Chapel and, and the way he describes it so he could impart to every one of those pastors he had never met this working of the Holy Spirit. And in the book of Acts, he, he writes his commentary so that, so that one thing would not happen. We would not seek to perfect in the flesh, which was... Begun in the Spirit. The same warning to the churches of Galatia. We know it this way. Who has, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? What was their bewitching? They turned away from finishing in the Spirit. Having begun in the Spirit, they sought to perfect in the flesh. My first pastor's conference, 2003, Pastor Chuck opens up the book of Galatians and pleads with all the pastors there. Same time he's writing this commentary. So I pick it back up again, and and only to say it this way, the distinction. The distinction that Pastor Chuck makes, terminology, and I'll show it to you. Acts 1.5 says you'll be baptized with the Spirit. Acts 1.8 says you'll receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you. That's the Greek preposition epi, or epi, E-P-I, in how it's transliterated, right? I can't read Greek, and maybe you can, maybe I can't, I don't know, but... And he describes they shall be witnesses unto him. And then if you look down at Acts chapter 2, and right in verse 4, it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, here's Pastor Chuck's distinction. What happened in Acts chapter, or John chapter 20 when Jesus breathed on the apostles, 
what happens when you believe in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, as he comes and lives in you, he fills you. That's the term that Chuck uses. He says, the Holy Spirit comes and fills you. Because many have treated the Holy Spirit, baptism of the Holy Spirit, like, well, what, didn't I get the Holy Spirit when I was saved? So why does he make that distinction? For our understanding. You are filled with the Spirit when you receive, believe and receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. Born again. Chuck says, Spirit comes and fills you. What we read in the book of Acts with the baptism, when the power of the Spirit comes upon you, again, it's, it's, as, it's as freely exchanged in Scripture. When you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, you receive power. Or the power of the Spirit is released upon your life. If you hear this very clearly, you get the Holy Spirit when you are saved. He fills you. So long comes this subsequent working of the Spirit, which was promised. Joel records it greatly, the pouring out of the Spirit. He's in you, but but now as he pours upon you, or again, that uh, Greek preposition, which we'll cover a little bit in this study, he overflows your life, or the rivers of living water flowing from your life. That which Jesus described, how the baptism with the, with the Holy Spirit would give us a power to be more like Jesus. So let's just work through that distinction. We say it this way. The baptism with the Holy Spirit is a subsequent experience to salvation. I took all that to tell you that that which is founded in faith and what we believe took place in the book of Acts coming out of the Gospels into the book of Acts, that there was a subsequent experience with the Holy Spirit. Those apostles already have, are saved and have received the Holy Spirit. What happens is the releasing of the power of the Holy Spirit upon their lives through an outpouring that was visible and manifest together with gifts of the Spirit. So don't, don't say that the evidence of the baptism with the Holy Spirit is one of those gifts. Right? That. That's not consistent with what scriptures say, but that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit really is the releasing of the power of God in, into all areas of our life in order for us to be witnesses. Now, you can consider yourself a witness over the things you've seen. If you've witnessed a, a car accident or some other worse crime, I guess accidents aren't necessarily criminal. But if you've you know, witnessed a crime, they want to know what you have seen. What happened on, on the day of Acts is the eyewitness account of something wonderful taking place. These men naturally were eyewitnesses after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul tells the Corinthian church there were 500 who saw Jesus. They, they, were, they were literal witnesses, but something takes place in this when he says, you shall be witnesses to me, the power come upon you, this is something different than just having seen something. And this is the key. The power of the baptism with the Holy Spirit upon our lives to transform us into not just the like, not just the, what we saw of Jesus Christ, but in everything of him, in our lives, working in and through our lives by that same power of the Holy Spirit. The love, right? The peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, the you know, temperance or self-control. And we recognize the fruit, don't we? But it really is 
Holy Spirit come upon the apostles. And from that point forward, they live like Jesus and continue his working in the world. It was not, I saw this. It was the power of God at work. And then we start into this book of Acts, and then miracles start happening through the apostles. Miracles that Jesus was doing starts happening through the apostles. It doesn't take very far into reading this thing where you, you recognize that Peter and, and Paul both had miracles done through their lives to raise someone back to life. Eutychus, Dorcas, and, and this mighty working power that Jesus said to his apostles they would have. And then there's these, both, both this, Peter's shadow was cast upon the sick and they got well. Sweat bands from Paul sweating and working in the heat when he was working, they would, and I think it's Ephesus, they would take those sweat bands and they sent them out to the sick people and they're getting healed. You remember the demon that, that Paul casts out on his first trip out? He looks at the guy, he says, oh, you worker of iniquity, and, and he says, you're, you're, just as you're in darkness, you're going to be in darkness, and the guy goes blind right before their sight. The Holy Spirit confirmed through the power and working of the signs, the gifts, the miracles, that mighty working power of God confirmed this power of the gospel to be witnessed unto Jesus. So that's enough to talk about for tonight. I, I love talking about the Holy Spirit to live. And so prepare you for this. And, and again, as we're going to be upcoming, not tonight, we're going to take communion tonight now, uh, receive communion here after service. But we're going to take some time to pray for one another and and gather together on Sunday nights. We're going to save time as a part of the study, and we're going to practice waiting upon the Spirit, and we'll practice the baptism with the Holy Spirit. If you've never received the baptism, we'll pray in faith, and by faith lay hands on for that baptism with the Holy Spirit. Uh, we've done this in our home. These are the things we did with our children, and and I, I now can see the manifest evidence of the Holy Spirit upon all my children's lives. They have gifts of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to practice that here. But tonight, it's what? Communion. So, Heavenly Father, thank you for the power and working of the Holy Spirit. Lord, teach us, we pray, how it is that the Spirit of God comes upon our life and how you desire to live through us. Lord, your life in us witnesses power, love, your mighty working power to identify that you are in us and witness to the world that you are alive and real and powerful and true and that your gospel saves. So we thank you for those things that you desire to do with us, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Ransel, if you